and welcome to Sleepover Talks. I'm your host, Christina, and today's episode we have Catherine. She is a social worker, which is LCSW. She also has a podcast. I'm so excited to have you on this episode today and have this conversation with you. Can you tell the audience a one-minute bio and a fun fact about you? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on, Christina. So, Yes, my name is Catherine. I am a clinical social worker born and raised in Southern California. And my experience has been primarily around older adults in various settings. So affordable housing, um, doing hospice, and now I'm doing medical social work in the palliative area. And I provide therapy on an outpatient basis to people who have terminal illnesses and also to caregivers who are just struggling caring with their loved one who has a terminal illness. And a fun fact about me is I love to roller skate. And I actually did roller derby for a year. And um, and I realized I like the skate the roller skating more than the actual like derby part because I felt bad it, like, I'm just so nice I felt bad like people or pushing them and they fall like it just that wasn't a good like fit I did um ice skating like about two or three years ago and oh my gosh I was horrible like me and my friends we were doing it for Christmas because I have like an ice skating rink where I live and I'm like let's try but I kept falling so props to you for doing that <laughs> oh thank you so (laughs) yeah it was fun and it got me in the best shape of my life it was great (laughs) we can go ahead and get started with the conversation so the first question I want to say is how did you know you wanted to help people or families and what is the difference between being a social worker or a therapist or is there really any difference yeah so that Mm -hmm. is a loaded question Um, so I first knew I, well, I always knew I wanted to help people. I've just always been a helper. And even as a little kid, I would always help anybody really. I would help kids in my class. I would help stray animals that walked in the backyard. I would help anybody who came my way. And so when I found social work was an option, I was in college by this point, I found that social work was an option and I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. That was my calling. And this like perfectly fits my personality as a person and a human being. So that is why I love social work so much. And there is a difference between being a social worker and being a therapist. So as a social worker, you can be a therapist doesn't necessarily if you're a therapist it doesn't necessarily mean that you can be a social worker okay if that makes sense okay do you want to talk a little bit about it like let's say someone's listening and they're so confused like oh I thought you could still be a social worker but do you need your master's to be a social worker too you know like what if someone's like listening asking those questions yeah so to be a social worker you really need a degree Mm-hmm. So whether it's your bachelor's in social work or your master's in social work, 
that's going to be a really big, uh, it's going to make a really big impact in the jobs that you can mm-hmm. qualify for, in the training that you have, and in the preparation that you get for the roles. So there are jobs that will call you a social worker and they will accept you even if you do not have a social work degree. But what I've heard from people in those positions is that they're not very well prepared to handle a lot of the things that come into play. Maybe like um, assessing a person within their systems, which is systems theory, which is what we learn in school that we are all, each one of us is operating and living within so many different systems that impact how we cope and how we function. And so social workers are trained to look at these systems, understand how they work and how they influence the individual. And also to, we're specifically trained on how to just work with the people in their environment and how to assess for safety, you know, what does elder abuse look like? What are mm-hmm. the next steps? What does child abuse look like? What are the next steps? And so those are the key, some of the key components of, you know, the social work education. And also we are bound by ethics. So my license can be put in jeopardy if I am found to be acting unethically, mm-hmm. which which may not translate to other, to other professions. And so I can be a therapist, mm-hmm. which I am right now as a worker, but I can also do so many other things with my social work degree, including advocacy and policy and running oh, wow. a business. And yeah, it's so diverse. I could work with all sorts of different people from, from people with medical conditions to homelessness to people with mental illness. I could work in a jail or I could do groups with people who have um, a severe mental illness or I could um, help people just dealing with grief or anxiety, which is a normal part of life, right? (laughs) So we're all over. We're all over the place. We're not just bound to therapy. And that is the difference is that a therapist is only going to be providing If someone's majoring in psychology or going back to school or still is in school, what advice do you have for someone entering this field or what about internships? Sure. So if you want to be a social worker Mm -hmm. specifically, definitely consider getting your social work degree in your bachelor's or your master's. And what was the second part um, of the question? What advice do you have for someone entering in the field? Like, you know, do you want them to should they do internships to see if they actually know this is like the right field for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Part of the social work education and a requirement mm-hmm. is internships. So that's included. So you get experience with your degree, which is Mm -hmm. really awesome. And you already have something that you can put on your resume and experience and hard skills that you can market for yourself. So if you are, if you are a social worker and you know, Hey, I want to try my hand in medical social work. You can ask for an internship specifically dealing with medical social work. 
Um, same thing if you want to, and you can do that with any area, like getting into policy or working in administration or um, working with the home with people who are homeless. And also too, if you can't access internships, like if that's not your major, but you're still interested in the field, you can definitely start signing up with some volunteer organizations. So people like, let's see, I would start in your community first. So are there any, are there any programs who are currently doing work that sounds interesting to you? So I volunteered once, for example, with, with an, um, what are they? They provided affordable housing. And so they needed Mm -hmm. a volunteer to listen to the messages that people would leave, assess if the family qualifies, like if they meet the qualifications for the Uh grant and then call the family back, explain, you know, yes, Mm. yes or no. And so that was a simple way. And I actually did that when (laughs) I was unemployed. I was, uh, I was looking for a job and I secretly wanted to work with that organization. Oh, that was your way in. <laughs> so, yeah, well, well, yeah, sort of. So I, I did the volunteer and I found out after, oh, maybe like, it was like once a week for two months or something. And I realized that the, I didn't want to work there. No, nope, I didn't want to do it. You're like, never mind. <laughs> Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) So it was, but you know, I would have never known that. And I would have applied Uh for the job that my supervisor, you know, my supervisor ended up leaving because she was unhappy there. And I would have applied for that job. And, you know, that volunteer experience just saved me, (laughs) saved me a lot of time and and grief. and, And it just helped to get a little bit more experience on my resume too. So it was pretty cool. What makes someone a good social worker or therapist? Like what are the qualities do you think personally they should have? The first couple Mm -hmm. things that come to mind is passion for helping other people. And you also need to have Mm -hmm. empathy. So not just sympathy. There is a difference sympathy you know I can use the example that Brene Brown uses (laughs) yeah she's amazing you can talk about the difference of it because some people might be like oh it's the same thing but really it's not if you you can go in detail about it if you like yeah so they Mm -hmm. are different um sympathy is when we see someone who might be stuck in a dark Mm -hmm. hole in a dark place in their life and we're kind of up at the top Mm -hmm. of the hole in the sunshine (laughs) and looking down and saying like oh wow <laughs> it's too bad you're yeah. down there why don't you just, why don't you just <laughs> climb up and empathy empathy is getting down into mm-hmm. that hole and sitting with them and really experiencing and putting yourself in their mm-hmm. position say like oh well yeah I see it's like super dark it's cold it's mm-hmm. lonely it's really hard to find that ladder that is hiding in the dark over there. But, you know, maybe together we can walk over there and, and figure out how to fix this or how, like, what do we do to help and bring some light into this place? And so it's really being with them as opposed to judging them or trying to, um, tell them what they should do when we really don't understand you know, how they're feeling or, or what they're going through. 
So really, you know, a passion for helping people and empathy are going to be like the two ways that we can, that are vital for being a Mm -hmm. therapist. And, and I think being a decent human being, to be honest. Very true. Yeah. And I think the cat must have been a good listener as well. Yes. Yes, because listening is a skill. It's not very easy. Yeah, to a lot do. of people don't have that. <laughs> it's true because I can tell you a story and say, um, like, oh my gosh, I um I don't know, I tripped mm-hmm. and I fell mm-hmm. in the mud and like and now, you know, I yeah. hurt my knee, but but what's even more like sucky is that I was dirty and I couldn't make it to my interview on time. And then if you just hear like, oh, you hurt your knee. Let me give you a Band-Aid. <laughs> You're like, you like, didn't hear the whole story. <laughs> right. Like, I'm not upset about my knee. My knee is fine. It's the fact that I couldn't mm-hmm. go to the interview. And now my family, like, I can't get yeah, that, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's definitely a skill that we all need mm-hmm. to work on. And myself included. I'm guilty. I feel- <laughs> Uh, I mean, listening, it's, it's a conscious effort to really find mm-hmm. out what is the underlying message or feeling that this person is telling me right me now. Too. What's the real issue here? Why are people so anti? And maybe there's not even. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry. I just like to talk. No. That's why I have a podcast. <laughs> me too. <laughs> oh, that's why I have that. Like, yeah. Okay, so my next question is, why are people so anti-therapy or getting the help? Like, for example, I have family members or friends are like, therapy doesn't do anything. What would you say to someone in that case? Well, you have to be mm-hmm. open to therapy. Yeah. If you If you don't want to do therapy and you don't believe mm-hmm. it's going to help you, then you're not. It's yeah. not because you're not being open to it. You're not playing full out. You are not fully engaging. You know, it's it work. Is. Ther- yeah. yeah. Therapy is work. It's messy. It's ugly crying. There's not coming <laughs> down the face. Yeah. Therapy can be really, really hard work. And us as a society mm-hmm. and culture in America, we are taught to suppress mm-hmm. all emotion, to be tough don't show any sort of weakness to anybody, much less a stranger. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like why am I, why am I going to pay a stranger to air all my dirty laundry is, is what people mm-hmm. say. And, and they're just don't understand. There's a science behind yeah. it. They're, like we are as humans, we're made to be relational mm-hmm. and we are made to express. We are made to, cry we are made to share in our emotions and once you do that your levels of you know those feel-good feelings in our brains they spike like out of control that's why when you're having a bad day or something awful happens and you go and hang out with your girlfriends and you just talk about it <laughs> and blah 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 I think you did that and you feel so uh-huh. much better. Especially with a glass of wine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Girl, for sure. <laughs> oh. And that in itself, like, that could be part of your, of the therapeutic mm-hmm. process. And not everybody needs therapy. That's true. You know, we can cope. Some of us can cope with 
some girlfriends and some mm-hmm. wine. But what I've learned through my own process, mm-hmm. because as a therapist, you have to go through your own stuff. Like you have to, to address your own issues. And a lot of us get into this field because we, we've been through yeah. some stuff, right? Yeah. Like we are in our lives and I had to come to terms with my own things before I could help other mm-hmm. people. And it's beyond just like, I can't believe you said that. It, it is um, set, like for me, it was reflecting on some of the hardships mm-hmm. that I had in childhood and how those had shaped my personal beliefs, my opinions, how I treat mm-hmm. myself, how I treat others and how I deal with, with difficult situations now so it affects your anxiety levels, like how you're thinking, depression, um, trauma is mm-hmm. is huge. There's, I think the stats is four out of seven of us have had a traumatic event yeah. in our lives. And those events, like we like to suppress them and not talk about them. And I'm not- one of those people that I don't like talking about my feelings. Like even with my boyfriend, I still have such a hard time talking about. It. He'll be like, "Tell me, tell me." Like, no, no, no. Like, I, we like someone's like, "Do you want to go grab dinner?" Or let's talk about your favorite memory as a child. I'll be like, "No, no, no." So I totally understand exactly what you're saying. So yeah, yeah, so you get it. So. I- are you scared of telling him how you feel? Um, I just always been that person that's always has things like under the rug. Like I'll tell him certain things and sometimes I'll be like, oh, I should really like say that. But the back of my mind, I don't want to be that person that's like a burden to somebody. If that may- I, That's probably bad to say, but that's always been something like, what if I tell him too much? What if I'm like, just like, oh, she's telling me everything and now I have to like take care of her or like feel sorry for her kind of thing I don't know if I'm saying that right but that's how I feel when it comes to feelings so I just kind of put it under the rug I know it's really bad <laughs> no that makes complete sense how long have you dealt with um like that? oh my gosh probably for a really long time I don't even I don't know the exact like how long how long but I know I noticed it more as an adult like I'm 28 but I noticed it more frequently now in my late 20s that I've been doing that a lot and like sometimes there like be certain things that have happened that I would just block out in my head that I do not want to talk about it like let's say I had a falling out with a friend maybe like a couple years ago I don't like it's like basically gone I don't want to talk about it anymore kind of thing even though it happened but I just like I blocked it out I know it sounds bad but that's what I do (laughs) no I mean it's a super powerful coping Mm -hmm. mechanism and a lot of us do that like we we can't just go through life reflecting on everything that happens to us all the time but at a certain point you know if there comes a time in your life mm-hmm. for you or anybody listening that you feel like something is really impacting the way you're functioning mm-hmm. in life, the way that you're able to show up to work or to school or for family or relationships, like if there is something there that's impacting that, definitely, definitely seek professional help, seek therapy, uh, because that's something deeper. Yeah. And for example, if I were talking mm-hmm. to you, you know, I would want to, I would be curious about 
have whoever raised you like were they like that did they teach you to be like that or did that event did that falling out with a friend did it remind you of a past event of or a past you know bad experience that that maybe we need to refigure out like how to better deal with these situations going forward so that when they do happen again because hardships will come around. Yes, again. They, will. they will. It's part of, it's part <laughs> of life. <laughs> yeah. Like how can we better, how can we do a better job of coping with it the next time? Right. Do you also think, and the ego plays a lot uh, like in situations like this, because I use the, the friendship line out. Like, let's say I had an argument with a friend and usually I'm a person that's like has a hard time forgiving somebody right away. And it takes me a while do you think that's like an ego thing where you like some people are like, oh, I'm so anti-therapy or like, I just don't want to talk about my feelings. Do you think that's why a lot of people are like so adamant about it? It could be an ego mm-hmm. thing, but in my experience, it's more cultural. Yeah, that's, I notice in the Hispanic culture it is. The- oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hispanic culture, black mm-hmm. culture, uh, uh, Asian cultures, a lot of these cultures value strength mm-hmm. and independence and machismo. Yeah. And we keep our family things private. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, therapy um, and sharing your emotions and feelings is, it's been around for a long time, but it is not a necessarily trusted mm-hmm. field um, with good reason, given the history and, um, and there's, there's, there's a shift happening right now, though, you know, we're in 2020, yeah. <laughs> there's a huge shift that's been happening for a good couple years around the awareness and the need of therapeutic support and mental health issues and beyond just like people poking fun at it, yeah. right? Like people it's in- more like common you- now for people like hey it's okay to go to therapy nothing's wrong with it because before yep. I feel like it was like a label like oh people are crazy if they go to therapy kind of thing yep yep yeah if you're crazy <laughs> you're in a psych ward like <laughs> yeah yeah I mean um I would say most mm-hmm. people need therapy at some point in yeah. their life that's very true I highly agree with that do social workers or therapists also go to therapy? Like, how do you put your feelings aside when doing your job? Oh, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So we do go to mm-hmm. therapy. Um, I current, I have my license. I currently do not go to therapy, but the thought has crossed my mm-hmm. mind a couple <laughs> of times. Um, and that's, you know, I don't go to therapy, but I did because in the process of becoming licensed, mm-hmm. It's a two-year process. The whole time you're getting clinical supervision from a therapist, from a licensed social oh, worker. Wow, okay. Yes. So those two years, I had to do a whole lot of soul searching, <laughs> a whole lot, a whole lot of learning, <laughs> and my industry. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I'm still in the medical industry, so I feel like if I were to transition to a completely separate industry, like Maybe if I went into um, working in addictions, mm-hmm. like that is a, um, I have a lot of family history with addiction. So I may have, or I'm, I'm not saying may, I will have more feelings mm-hmm. about addiction that I would need a process with a therapist 
if I decided to go into that area. But since I've been in medical, it's, it's a lot of the same things that I've been mm-hmm. dealing with. And so I had the therapy already to address I know you, it. I know you mentioned that you also work with, you know, the grief and hospice. Do you want to talk a little bit how that is different than like, you know, going to actual therapy, like sitting down with someone talking about your feelings, talk about like almost the end of someone's life or just the whole grieving process. If you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So it is Mm -hmm. different. It's definitely a unique field in that it's normal to Mm -hmm. grieve. So I am, I am there as a therapist, as a Mm -hmm. clinician to support you through a normal human Mm -hmm. emotion. And, but it is important because if you are one to just suppress and not share any of your feelings and not cry (laughs) ever, like that, I'm really worried about you. If you're not crying about someone Mm -hmm. that you love, like there's a lot of things going on for you there. And just so many emotions tied in with, with Mm -hmm. end of life, you know, not just sadness Mm -hmm. and grief, but there's also guilt and relief and, um, and like a, a sense of peace that we want you to mm-hmm. come to. And if it's a traumatic loss, then that is like a whole nother, a whole nother, you know, area that, that could affect you for the rest of your life. And so we want our goal as, as hospice and palliative is to make it a peaceful death and not a traumatic one in that you know that they were comfortable, you know that they had all their needs met, as opposed to, oh my gosh, I didn't do enough to help them and my loved one, you know, must have been so mad at yeah. me. And if you, if you think that, it's much different and losing them and then you have what we call complicated grief because then you're not able to process the grief emotions like, like mm-hmm. you need to in order to function, you know, um, going forward. And it's, you know, when you're angry or when you're feeling guilt ridden about someone who passed or the circumstances, that's going to look a lot different for you going forward than if, if it was a peaceful passing and you have accepted it and you were like, you know, as ready as you could. How be. many sessions do you think someone would need, like in like in that sense? Like, let's say they, someone they passed, maybe it's their father or their mother, and they didn't have the best relationship, or they did, but they're still upset that they they passed away. Like, what would you say is like the sessions that they need to like surpass their feelings? There's no time <laughs> frame. That's a really <laughs> great question, but there's no time frame, and everyone gets help in different mm-hmm. ways and there's a lot of different factors that mm-hmm. go into it so if if there's that person that that happened you know maybe there's uh-huh. two people right there's there's one who is isolated and they don't talk to anybody and all they talk to is okay. their therapist it's probably going to take them longer to process this and to get to mm-hmm. a healthy place than would someone else who is living with family who is constantly socializing with friends who have those loving mm-hmm. supports, that person with those relationships are going to cope much better and recover much quicker if, you know, if they're healthy relationships, yeah. of course, 
than the person who's isolated. Do you think that's why a lot of people turn into like those coping mechanisms out for like drinking alcohol instead of like talking about their emotions? Because I feel like a lot of people tend to do that. I don't know if that's something you want to talk about. Oh, yeah, for sure. People use alcohol and drugs to numb all Mm -hmm. the time. Um, They don't, they're sometimes, especially when they have started using at a young age, or if it has come on suddenly, like all of a sudden they're starting to use, that would, that's makes me question like what happened at that time that that person wanted to use? And can we, can we figure out a different coping mechanism for them? Like something else, because they're really just trying to distract themselves. Instead of, instead of feeling the pain. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Or to numb the pain and and also, and that's where we see a lot of coping mechanisms coming in, like cutting. Yeah. Cutting, cutting can be a form of grounding, of mindfulness. It's not a healthy form. I don't recommend no. it, but <laughs> but people are cutting to to center themselves and to refocus on a physical sensation, as opposed to an emotional. Do pain. you think that's why depression and anxiety is such a huge thing, especially with, I feel like a lot of maybe teenagers uh, tend to go that route, like cutting, like they'll be in school, they tend to get bullied and they just want to like, and they're like, just how they're getting treated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And actually I did, there's some mm-hmm. research that millennial or not millennials, um, Gen Z, the people, are, Yeah. Gen Z, the people younger than millennials, so they're 19 to 25 or something. They are the most lonely population wow, right now. Wow, that's scary. Yeah, ironically, they are the mo- they're feeling the most lonely and which tells me that they're not they're not feeling like they have really good friendships, like they have trust with other people or that they can be themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it breaks my heart. It's, it's really a tough place to be. So, um, yeah. Do you think a master's degree is required in this field or do you just really need a bachelor's? I know we kind of talked about a little bit, but I just want to like talk a bit more into it. Mm -hmm. That's a, yeah, that's a good question. So bachelor's is going to give you a good overview and the foundation Mm -hmm. of social work and the type of work that we do. But master's is really going to allow you to dig deep into the psychology, into the interventions, into like how to really help them. So not just not just learn about what they're doing and and what what kind of resources they need, but like going into the clinical skills of how to help them and um, and the job opportunities are going to look different. So here, I'm here in California. Me too. (laughs) Okay, great. So with a bachelor's in social work, you're going to be able to get a lot of case case management jobs, uh, maybe some service coordinator things that are just resource-based, like giving them, assessing what they need, giving them some phone numbers, and following Mm -hmm. up. Um, With a master's, you're going to be able to get more jobs that are are more in line probably with what you want to do mm-hmm. um, as far as like really getting in to be able to help people to do assessments. Like you can't do an assessment in hospice if you don't have an MSW. Oh, I see. I see. Mm-hmm. So even as an intern with hospice, mm-hmm. I was not able to do my own assessments. So 
I had someone to- else had to do them then. Yep. Yep. And then I can follow the care plan that they created, but I couldn't create my own. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's gonna uh, just open up so many more doors for you. If you have a bachelor's in social work and you know, you want to get your mm-hmm. master's, what I wish I would have done <laughs> is I wish I would have just done the one year advanced standing program, okay. um, which you can do if you have a BSW, but it's just like one year you're in, you're out, you start full-time work. I actually did a three-year part-time MSW program, oh, okay. um, which is great. I worked, I worked the whole time. That's um, good. Yeah, it was good. And but like looking back, I'm just like, oh, I could have <laughs> done the other. I, program. I still took out loans. <laughs> yeah, like I still took out loans. I could have just <laughs> did it faster. But you know, we're all. Everything happens for a reason. Exactly. So. It's funny because I had um, an appointment with my financial aid advisor today about talking about loans and how I had to put a private loan up for um, fall semester. I'm just thinking, oh, I want to do grad school, but I was like, can I be able to afford that? <laughs> it's, yeah. It's really crazy how every, everything in this field, how you need. So my other question is, can a social worker or a therapist work anywhere or is, are they selective? Um. I mean, I would venture to say we can work anywhere because we're excellent at relationships Uh and rapport building, Um, you know, whether HR agrees or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very true. Um, Because HR, you know, they, the general population doesn't understand all of the skills that we have as social workers. So that's kind of where, you know, it gets hard. I know. Please hire me. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What is the difference between a private uh, office and non-private? Because I always hear that in therapy, like, oh, you should go to someone that has their own office versus like a county, like going to the county. Do you want to talk about kind of that? Yeah. So my understanding, Mm -hmm. I don't have a private Mm -hmm. office, but okay. So here's Mm -hmm. the thing. (laughs) With a private office is they're probably going to have a smaller caseload. Okay. And so they would be able to provide more attention and more, um, let's see, they're not going to be as tired, most likely. <laughs> okay. They might be, but, but they may not be as tired and overwhelmed and overworked for county. They do have really, really great therapists, but sometimes their caseload is very high. Mm-hmm. So they can't dedicate all of the time that they would like to help you. Okay. And so what you can do, if you have insurance, Mm -hmm. insurances have become very, very good at offering mental health services. Sometimes they're brief and limited, but it's there. (laughs) It's there. You need it. Especially if, if you're a normal human being going through a tough situation. Especially 2020. (laughs) Oh, girl. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, it's there. So, you know, your health insurance may have a behavioral health or a mental health number that you can call. Um, yeah, the counties, they have theirs, but a lot of times it's a it's a really long wait also. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you may not necessarily get in right away. <laughs> like exactly. Yeah. So um so with the private ones is you're gonna wait less and they may have um 
have more flexibility in like being able to help you because they likely have a smaller caseload. What do you think about those online therapies? Because sometimes some influencers that I'm watching now on YouTube, they'll be talking about like, oh, you can do therapy online. What do you what are your thoughts on that? I'm not mad at it. <laughs> I'm not mad at it because um, everyone is so different mm-hmm. and everyone is comfortable in sharing their feelings mm-hmm. in different ways. That's true. You know, so, um, and there's a different fit for everybody. So we already know the system doesn't fit for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so if there is a way that you feel comfortable talking about your feelings, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Let's talk about graduation. How early should you start applying for jobs or internships? I would venture to say, I would actually do it in my last semester. Okay. Start looking, you know, like seriously looking for jobs and applying because sometimes they do have a long wait period. If they really like you, they can they can say, you know, as soon as you graduate, you can start. Or once you graduate with your official degree, then we can give you a bump in pay. Um, definitely negotiate that in mm-hmm. when you're when you've been given a job offer. And even before then, though. So we're not even in the last semester yet, right? No, not yet. No, not yet. Yeah, like it's still, we still have time. So right now is when you need to start making relationships with those people in those companies. Oh, okay. Yes. So get on LinkedIn, make yourself a good profile, have somebody proof it for you. (laughs) Right. Uh, Don't do like Facebook. (laughs) I mean, you can. It's going to be a little bit harder. Um, because that's more of a personal mm-hmm. thing and you can get in groups. Yeah. If you want to use Facebook, I feel like I have tips for like all the, <laughs> go ahead and give, give the tips. Maybe there's somebody listening. Like what is LinkedIn? Like, how do you like use it? You know, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So LinkedIn is where I would start. Okay. That's my number one referral because LinkedIn is like Facebook, but for job, for jobs, okay. for careers. So what I would do and have done is you go on LinkedIn, you look up the companies that you would want to work for that you would like, Oh my God, it'd be so amazing. Um, Look those up and see who works there. See if there's any, any people with your job title you would want and connect with them. Um, I would send them a little message and say, Hey, like I'm working on such and such degree. I would love to do what you do. Do you have any pointers for me? Oh, okay. That's a good tip. Or do you, yeah. Do you have any tips for me? So, you know, open it up with a genuine compliment mm-hmm. and, and, you know, try ask them a question. And if they respond, Hey, that's great. Like you've built a connection. Mm-hmm. If they don't respond, like, whatever's, it's fine. <laughs> My dream is to work for, like, Kaiser or, like, in a hospital setting. I always wanted to do that. I'm just – because my mom's a nurse, and I know I can't be a nurse because that just makes me, like, extremely emotional for some reason. But to be going into, like, therapy, working at, like, a hospital, I always wanted to do that. So would you – for someone that's doing that, would you say to also go on the, like, a hospital website – you can, but the website probably isn't going to get you very far. Very true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's helpful to know and definitely look at the website before you go to any job interview. Uh-huh. 
Um, but what I would do is is research Kaiser and connect with social workers who who work at or have worked at Kaiser before. Okay, I can do that. And that way, Should you know, kind of like get in their circle. Maybe they can give you some tips or some pointers or tell you like, oh, yeah, you know, my boss is um, so-and-so. Maybe you can befriend her or them, him on um, on LinkedIn. And so if you do that, mm-hmm. they will begin to see your name. And so when you send in like, oh, yeah, Christina, <laughs> I feel like I've heard that name before. Oh, yeah, I saw her. She does that amazing podcast. <laughs> She's like so great. I I would like Christina. Let me bring her in for an interview. Okay. That's, that's great. I should probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the right time. Um, and then on Facebook, mm-hmm. what I would do there is I would go into groups. Okay. Um, like say like medical social work, right? Like find a medical social work group. Okay. Um, and, and just see what they're talking about. See what kind of questions they ask. You can ask questions too, like, do you have, do you guys have any pointers? Like, I'm working on my LinkedIn profile. Can someone read it for me? You know, okay. Um, just kind of getting feedback from them. Um, I will say about Facebook groups is it can be a a collection of people who want to vent. Oh, <laughs> oh that's great. It's <laughs> okay. We all need a friend. <laughs> yeah. So. So like, don't, if people are venting, Uh do not get scared away, (laughs) but, but it would help you to kind of like really see like, oh, this is a problem. Okay. Well, well, that's fine. I'll be prepared for that. Yeah. How often do you think someone should go on LinkedIn or post on LinkedIn? Like someone's looking for like a job and is struggling, especially like right now with the pandemic, a lot of people are losing jobs. How often do you think someone should go on? I would say <laughs> it, it really depends on like what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So if you're just trying to build your, build your network mm-hmm. or get your name out there a little bit, like once a week going on, um, finding, you know, set some goals for yourself. Like, let me connect with three new people. Let me comment on three posts and you know, boom, you're done. Or let me get into some groups on there and you're done. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you are actively looking for a job, I would be on there. Like me personally, I would be there on like every day or every other day. <laughs> okay. Just doing the same, interacting, um, you know, sharing other people's posts. Like if you like, say you follow somebody from Kaiser, right. Uh-huh. And you really they're pretty active on LinkedIn. Share their posts. Oh, okay. I'd be like, yeah, look at this great article that so and so from Kaiser shared. <laughs> you know, that's gonna get their attention. Okay. Should you make friends with your professors in the psychology department to help with a letter of recommendation? Hell yes, <laughs> you should. How yes. should how should you go about it? Because I don't want to be like, hey, you know, <laughs> like I never talk to them in class or something. <laughs> Well, start talking to them. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, start talking to them. Mm-hmm. I would make it a goal to, especially if there's a professor or a class that you particularly like, mm-hmm. make it a goal to um, to speak up once each class or, you know, whatever, don't, whatever's not weird for you, right? Okay. So try to, try to speak up once during class. 
and go up to your professor at the end of the class and and ask them a question or start a conversation or let them know that you appreciate them being there because at the end of the day they're just people you know yeah it's a job. that's true it's a job they like they give a lot of time and energy and effort into planning the curriculums mm-hmm. and I think that you know, now kind of being on the other end, because I'm trying to like teach as well, right? Yeah. Being on the other end, there's, there's a lot of work and planning and, and time that goes into these lessons. It's not easy. (laughs) No, it's not. And they really, they really do their best to make sure it's beneficial for you. So if you just like told them like, Hey, like, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you. I enjoy I enjoy your corny jokes or whatever it might be. <laughs> Do you have any last advice to give to someone that's listening to this podcast and wants to know more about this field or just therapy in general? Yeah, so um, definitely just I would see sorry, mm. I have like all these thoughts. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, so First, um, you can follow me on Instagram is social workers rise. I talk about, I'm mostly talking about support for the social worker and on the podcast that I do also called social workers rise. That is where I interview other social workers who are working in the field. You can hear their stories. You can hear their experiences and, and just connect, you know, I'm here, um, you can look up jobs in your area. So, so like social worker jobs in California and see what pops up, see what kind of qualifications you need, see if the pay is listed there, if that's the kind of job you want to get into, um, you know, just do a little bit of research to make sure that you're in the right field. And well, I'll list your um, links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being on my podcast. It was a true pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Christina. I appreciate you. Bye.